Hello and welcome to another episode of the Institute of World Mission podcast. Just before meeting our guest today and immersing into the world of cross-cultural fundraising and philanthropy, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you been seeing or noticing the articles we are publishing on the IWM blog? Yes, you heard it right, we have a blog. Every week we publish one article with you in mind. This week, for example, a friend and a teacher of mine, Dr. Baumgartner, discusses in an article, which you can read, one of the foundational cultural values, which makes a whole lot of a difference in various cultures. It's called power distance. At the end of the article, Dr. Baumgartner asks these following two questions. First, how do biblical principles inform how we lead in cultures that value low power distance? And the second question is, how do they inform how we lead in high power distance cultures? Well, all of this may not make much sense right now, but if you read the article, you will see how much of an impact this difference will make on your life in ministry. We invite you to join the conversation. Please, Read the article and share your experience in a comment to this blog post. You'll find the link to the post in the show notes, here, in this podcast. And if you don't want to miss articles that we publish for you, consider getting on our blog updates email list. This way, you'll get an automatic email notification with the title, the first couple paragraphs, and the link every time a new blog post is out. And as I keep saying... This is our journey together in growing in Christ's mission in such a time as this. Welcome to the Institute of World Mission Weekly Podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org podcast to view this podcast's show notes, links, and previous episodes. Institute of World Mission is your partner in the mission field. Welcome back again. My name is Alex Ott, and in today's interview, you will meet Dr. Lilia Wagner. Currently, Dr. Wagner is Director of Philanthropic Service for Institutions at North American Division. She's a trainer for the fundraising school as well as on the philanthropic studies faculty of the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University. Recently, Dr. Wagner published a book on the effects of culture. And not just that on the effects of traditions, nationalities, and religions on generosity and philanthropy. The book's title is Diversity and Philanthropy, Expanding the Circle of Giving. This book reflects Dr. Wagner's own background as a refugee and immigrant, her extensive global work through the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, as well as other organizations that have engaged her as a consultant or trainer. It reflects her interest in cultural differences and how those differences enrich society. In today's interview, we discuss core concepts of Dr. Wagner's recent book and actually attempt to apply them to Adventist missions. Lilia, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here with you. All right. So, me too. In fact, we have talked just now before this recording about the many needs 
that God's work has around the world and that there are ways for that work to go forward. And not a small part in this is philanthropy. Now, we will talk together to you will actually help us explain what all of that means. And let me ask you this first question before we actually going to get into the topic itself. Would you please share with our listeners, what is this that you do? What is your background? What is your current ministry? I had an office of the North America Division that was actually begun by a very visionary person in the 70s, which was, he was quite ahead of his time. He had worked in Mexico, some other parts of the world, and he had the vision. He eventually went to Loma Linda to do fundraising. The church had opportunities that they were missing. People were used to this attitude. We're not totally over that, but they were used to this attitude the Lord will provide. And today, especially, we need to think about how do our schools exist? They have to do fundraising. But the other aspect of this is not just the fundraising. The context in which fundraising is done, the better the organization, the stronger the organization, obviously the better the fundraising success. Because you don't raise money because you're raising money. You're raising money for something specific. The cause, the vision, why does that organization exist? So fundraising strengthens an organization besides just the money and also allows it to exist well. When you consider how many schools just in the North America division, now in Russia, they're trying to develop a whole network of elementary schools so that they're carefully looking. I've been there three times to do training for them. But in America, we lost in a 10-year period something like 170 elementary through one college schools. And fundraising plays a big part because it strengthens who you are. People like to give to success, not distress, unless you're the Red Cross or there's an earthquake in Puerto Rico. So this office was established to serve all of the organizations of the North America Division as requested. And we are part of the division, although I also do work for the General Conference when requested for the Global Church. And we are almost a full-service consulting and training office. We provide resources. We have materials we share. We have webinars. We have a complete course through the Adventist Learning Community. We go on site as much as possible. So to sum it up, we do consulting, training, and providing resources so that people learn how to do it for themselves, which is what a typical, significant, credible consulting office does. Thank you, Lilia. Our audience, people who listen to this podcast, are missionaries, cross-cultural expatriate employees of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, mission enthusiasts, mission thinkers, and of course, the angle that our conversation develops on this channel is how can we help the cross-cultural mission of the church? How can we see the work of reaching the unreached people groups actually develop and blossom? So in, in this context, I know you published a book which you uh, written about on cross-cultural philanthropy and that, of course, really grabbed my attention. Cross-cultural philanthropy. Let's unpack this idea just a little bit. Let's start with philanthropy. 
what is that? How does that fit the fundraising context? Philanthropy is as old as time itself. People giving to other people. And most people will know the word philos, love of mankind, it comes from the Greek. The Bible is full of good advice, good examples of good fundraising and why you do it. What amazes me sometimes is when people say it's not biblical. Well, it's very biblical. And of course, we function in this setting on a Bible basis. Ellen White even said the fundraising is a form of evangelism because you, people want to be involved in something worthwhile. So the concept of philanthropy, especially as I address it in the book, whether it's that particular word that is used or not, is the matter of making opportunities for people to be generous. People being generous, being philanthropic. Now the language, you talk started with the cross-cultural. The language is different, especially after the Soviet Union broke up. We had to create some words in some part. In my own language, in Estonian, there wasn't a word for nonprofit. So we created a word, long word. And in some of the Spanish languages, it was hard to translate the concept of stewardship. But it all comes together with this whole concept of people being generous, being given opportunities to make a difference because it takes money. One of the things we can't forget that it's not so much about the money as a good cause that has a price tag. And that's what your missions are. Great causes, but sometimes you need to get that extra money. But not only that, there is a very interesting institute as part of the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University, the Lake Institute for Faith and Giving. Mm -hmm. Now we have a huge public university, eight campuses. They not only have this interesting school of philanthropy, but part of it, they focus on faith and giving. And there are some interesting factors about faith and giving that we can address later if you're interested. But the people's giving choices for anything, and church giving has definitely gone down the more advanced the country gets. People's choices for giving to anything, 50 to 70% are based on their faith values. So this whole concept of philanthropy is whether we recognize it very openly or not, it is based very much on faith. Now, there are godless people who are very generous and make a difference, but in the context of what you're working with, it's important to recognize that fundraising is very much biblical. Our principles, if you look at a capital campaign in the book of Chronicles, when they were building the temple, you look at the steps they took. Now, that was in miniature in the Bible, but they echo the steps that we teach. Right. So it's very interesting to put that angle to the formal word philanthropy, philanthropia in Spanish, whatever it takes. But the whole concept comes from people being generous one to another. Thank you. So the cross-culture part of this, let's explore this a little bit because... Sometimes we may have this idea that if we 
need to fundraise, we need to go to a certain part of the world. But actually, it probably could be done locally if we knew how to. Is that what it means? Uh, oh, my goodness, yes. Part of it? Very much so. In the Adventist system, of course, as the church grew around the world in the late 19th century, early 20th, illegitimately people would look to America for support, the missionary support. My father was the first director of what is now the university in Bolivia. And in those days, there was a lot of support from headquarters. If you look at traditions of giving, the religious component that goes into a lot of generosity If you look at other practices, the Muslim faith actually has some directives, as does Orthodox Jewish faith. You need to give. Now, in many other faiths, like let's say the Lutherans, it is something that is encouraged. But the cultural aspect is truly significant because people have been generous with each other informally, for a long time. And this is how some of the countries, because I was working in many countries very soon after the Soviet Union broke up, people were helping each other, the mutual assistance type of concept. So whether we call it formal philanthropy, and today, of course, the majority of the world has accepted the principles that we teach. How does fundraising under the rubric of philanthropy work? But we tap into what has happened locally. What are some of the attitudes? Now, if you to compare two very distinct cultures and countries, Estonians prior to the Soviet occupation, they're very independent people, very independent nation. Giving for them had a different characteristic than let's say Argentina where the Catholic Church had a strong influence and there was an expectation to give. And that expectation actually, one of my graduate students did a long research study on that, has translated well into formal philanthropy. So where giving generates from is very interesting, but it has existed whenever people see a need and some people are willing to help. Now we talk about formal philanthropy because that's what's needed in today's world. You know, and understanding what is it, what are the principles, how do we implement them within our context. So what I'm hearing from you is that there are principles, but the way it's implemented, those principles are implemented in different parts of the world and different cultural environments may be drastically different, in Mm -hmm. fact. So if you could just comment a little bit on the influence of culture and the giving patterns of people, where do you see those influences? Some of the most important aspects that we need to understand are some of the traditions. I just mentioned the Catholics, especially in years gone by, that has changed quite a bit in most recent days here in America. But in days gone by, one of the expectations, as I mentioned, was to give. Well, when I think about many of the other countries, there are some countries that are quite atheistic, especially some Western European countries. So the motivations come more from the humanitarian aspect. That doesn't mean that religion doesn't have the humanitarian aspect. Of course it does. 
But if you're not motivated through your religion, then there are other aspects. There are traditions of giving. In some Southeast Asian countries, some of the traditions of giving have been centered around major events. Mm. Some of the traditions of giving in some Latin countries also, like a birthday. Some of the other aspects are societal expectations. In some countries, it's expected that the family is going to take care of the elderly and the sick. In others, we have organizations that do that. You know, nursing homes in many European countries didn't exist for a while because that was the expectation. You take care of that old relative. Here and now in many, many countries, you raise money so that you can provide like a children's home. We have street children in every country I've taught in and I've worked in now about 100 countries. And you see some of the commonalities in societal problems, whether it's animal life or children, or it's a war, the effects of abuse. You know, these are common threads that we have, but how they have been supported and why formal fundraising was so much of an interest in developing areas of the world because astute people understand you tap into what exists in tradition, in religion, in our own cultural aspects, and you take the principles Making a case for support is almost universal, but how you do it in Australia versus Ukraine, you consider the elements that go into it. But one thing I do have to say, in recent years, almost globally, people don't necessarily give because you have a need or a want. They give because they are promised outcomes. Mm -hmm. People give to outcomes. That's an American culture. No. No? It's all over. Okay. Why would you give? Why would you buy anything if you don't know if that machine works? People give to see results. And that's often a mistake that fundraisers make because we need this. We've got to do this for the kids. When I worked in Washington, D.C., we had a feeding program for the school children of Senegal through USAID money. Well, it wasn't enough that we got from them, so we had to do fundraising. Well, people were asking, okay, They don't get fed at home? Why don't they get fed at home? What is our government doing? What's our responsibility for this? Well, a well-fed child is an economic factor. They're not going to be a drain on your society in Senegal. The results are a healthier society economically and in other ways. So this is one thing that's a major failing in people. We need to do this. We have this program. What's the result? Why are we doing this? That's universal. To be able to answer care. that question. And that goes, important. of course, to the fundraising concept of making a case. The Institute of World Mission recently published an online course. The title, Fundraising for Mission. The course is available right on the IWM website. Look for the link in the show notes. The Fundraising for Mission online course will help support a certain cause that lacks financial resources. You will learn a few valuable things, and among them, how to approach potential donors, what are the basic universal principles and methods of fundraising, how to prepare for a fundraising campaign and follow up, and 
what are the needed attitudes for successful fundraising. If you would like to grow in this skill, click on the Fundraising for Mission course link in the show notes. Lilio, it is not possible for us in just a few minutes that we really have here to, you know, to help people go through the different cultural backgrounds and dynamics of what it means to adapt their ways of fundraising to different cultures. Let's talk a little bit about the book that you wrote. So what is this that you cover in the book? What does it cover? So that people can catch up, you know, pick up the book and actually go deeper into all of these things. Well, the major premise of the book is to help, especially in North America, because cross-cultural giving has grown in the past two decades enormously, partly due to the uh, technology. You know, we truly are a global village because we can so readily understand what's happening. Like when the tsunami hit in 2005, people felt a part of it. Whereas in the Vietnam War, that was a distant thing. So technology has had a huge effect on how people see themselves as a global world. Now, the reason I wrote the book was to help people understand that while we have this commonality, we realize fundraising is important. You, by and large, we realize that globally. We want to do it right. But as often we've mentioned in our conversations, there was an imposition of church or societal values when people from America would go to other places without taking into regard the context in which they were working. What are the people thinking? Even use of language. How do you talk about this? So my first desire was to help people realize the richness of philanthropy, using that in the broadest sense around the world. The second was because of my own experience that I'm very, very global. As we, I've mentioned, I was a refugee, an immigrant, learned four languages before I was 10. Very, very early from age three on, I appreciated all these differences, which we don't always. You know, sometimes there are even articles in Harvard Business Review, how to take the chicken restaurant over to China. So the cultural awareness for success, and why wouldn't we as Adventists with our vision and mission want to see that success? So my first was, of course, to lay out the reasons why this is important. Then I look at the international growth of fundraising and concepts of philanthropy globally, which in the, since the early 90s really, really took off. Partly, of course, the breakup of the Soviet Union, which had an effect globally. But Southeast Asia, people were getting, I've done training in China several times, Southeast Asia, people were saying, we've got to be more careful how we give. We want to give. Latin America, was becoming more democratized at that time, and the nonprofit sector was becoming so much more important. Then I take the major cultures. Mm-hmm. Let's zero in on Hispanics because I grew up more with Hispanics than any other culture till I went to the college, my college years. Before you do that, but you do cover some of the others as I've definitely oh, absolutely. Through. So if you just mentioned some of the main ones that you do cover there. Asian cultures. Mm-hmm. Southeast Asian in particular, 
Hispanic, Latin American, but other Hispanic cultures, some of the Caribbean. Also, the philanthropy as it came from Europe to Australia, New Zealand, and those surrounding islands. You do touch on, Afri on the African continent, right? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, some of the roots of philanthropy that we tap into when I do considerable work in African countries a lot of good bases for giving. They are so open to understanding how do we do it better. So that covering all the parts of the world except Antarctica. Great, but back to the Hispanic example that yeah. we wanted to give. First of all, we study some of the traditions. And this is very much research and experience based. It's not from the top of my head. It's all verified. What are some of the traditions? What are some of the roots of formal giving? And by the way, I should interject that for every chapter has short pieces from experts that I've worked with in those countries or areas of the world. So it's not just the research, it's also the experiential. Like when I talk about the British experience, I have a person from Scotland writing a short piece. So that adds to the credibility. And then also in the chapter are suggestions for implementation. It's not one, two, three, do this, but suggestions. Consider this as you go forward with your fundraising. Then, of course, we have our training, the School of Philanthropy, the fundraising school that we can refer people to. Then toward the close, I look at uh, what further development is needed, suggestions, and yesterday I was talking with a doctoral student who may take this to the next level. Here we've made this progress. And finally, something that I'm very keen on, I've done a lot of writing and lecturing on this, the culturally proficient professional. What do you need to think about in your own when you go to another culture? And perhaps this is the most important chapter. And I'm willing to share that chapter if people can't buy the book. But I would welcome any questions that people have, and, and I can share little pieces, not the whole book, but Thank you, pieces. Lilia, for mentioning this. Would you please then share your contact information? How can our listeners actually get in touch with you, whether through social media or whatever you'd like? The best, well, first of all, my book is available, of course, through the publisher, but also Amazon. And we will provide the link in the show notes so yeah. people will have a very easy way to find it. I can't believe I'm saying this, but by now, since the book has been out a little over three years, you can get a good used copy. So it's not as expensive as the new copy. But I welcome any comments or questions. And it's literally my email is the best because I travel so much. My schedule is erratic. And if somebody needs to talk, like I have two international phone calls after you and I are done, is my email my name, Lilia Wagner, at nadadventist.org. Perfect. And we will also put it right into the show notes so people have no doubt about the spelling or anything. But I will be happy to, I mean, as you can tell, it's been my interest since I was a toddler. And especially now that I've seen all this global growth and understanding the true value of fundraising, that it's humanitarian, it's faith-based, it makes a difference. You know, I, I feel so privileged to have been part of helping people around the world understand how to move forward. And certainly, knowing what I know about Adventist missions, 
my brother, my daughter, my father, there for me. And all the global work I've done, so much good can be done. And people want to help. People don't give to, just because you need it. They give if they see you're doing something good. That's why philanthropy grows. Lillian, thank you so much for that motivation that you just, the seeds of motivation that you have sown in the hearts of our listeners right now. And uh, the first actionable step that anyone can take is either buy a book and dive themselves into <laughs> it or contact you for the most important chapter that you mentioned and start traveling that journey with the Lord appropriately within the context of our people. And thank you so much for uh, this wait, interview. Wait, I just want to say a little bit more please about do, next steps do. about implementation. Okay. I would encourage people to look up my department's website, Philanthropic Service. Dot com. Please notice no S at the end of service. Okay. We have webinars, and the webinars go along with one of our five handbooks that cover fundraising, ethical, philanthropic, successful fundraising. We have one in Spanish. We're getting one in French. We have a Canadian version. We have a more general version, and we have a very much a church version so for conferences, their churches, so forth. Also, through the Adventist Learning Community, there's a very thorough course where many, many experts, 35 people, are presenting the main principles. So I would encourage people not just to write to me, but to look up some of these resources that are available. And there, of course, then there's also the School of Philanthropy and the Fundraising School, which is still considered around the world the premier place. I worked there for many years, did a lot of their curricula. So I'm happy to have people who have specific questions, but also all these other resources are available. And uh, I would encourage people to at least make sample use of it yeah. and make use of it. Lilia, thank you so very much. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. If the topic of fundraising for mission is of special interest for you, you might be interested in a webinar we recently recorded with Ryan Keogh. It's a one-hour video recording. You'll find the link to it in the show notes. To access the webinar, you'll need a membership account on the IWM website. So first log in, then go to the webinars page and look through the list. You'll find it there. In the last episode, I mentioned that we are at a Mission Institute session at the moment with a wonderful group of missionaries. And I would like to ask you again to pray for us. For many participants, it's the launch pad to their work and life in the mission field. We pray here while we have this time with these missionaries for the Holy Spirit to prepare every family in the best way possible. And we will truly appreciate your prayer support as well. Finally here, I'd like to say a special thanks to you we started strong this year with lots of downloads for our first episode. If you haven't, please subscribe to the IWM podcast right inside your app. This will deliver the latest episode to you whenever it's published. More so, consider subscribing to weekly podcast updates by email. You can do that on our website and the link is in the show notes. If you do that, You'll be notified by email about the newest episode with its title, the graphic description, and the link. You'll have an idea what it's about, and you can just follow through when you're ready. 
My name is Alex Ott and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week.